right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Originative Podcast. So for today's interview, we have with us Jeff Smith, who is an enrolled member of the Macaw Tribe. He is a very passionate activist who has done amazing work in the Native community, and he has worked with Natives in the area since 1989. He has also experienced being a mental health counselor for some tribes, and he has more than 25 years of experience working for the American Friends Service Committee. He is also the founding director of Nakani, but he is now retired, and I think he has left behind a fantastic legacy. So I am really excited to be talking to you, and welcome to the Originate Podcast, Jeff. Well, thank you, Anushka. I'm really glad to be here with you. Awesome. So for today's topic, I was interested in learning a bit more about the canoe journey, which is obviously something you have a lot of experience with. So just to start off, um, for our audience members, um, can you just tell a little bit about what the canoe journey is? Well, the canoe journey is a, uh, the intertribal canoe journey is one name for it. And uh, it takes place in the Pacific Northwest, primarily in the Salish Sea and the nearby Pacific Ocean. And we have thousands of people like maybe about 4,000 people on the big years who travel together primarily by canoe. And it's usually for hundreds of miles and for 10 days to two weeks, we stop at the different uh, tribal communities along the way and camp during that time. Um, and so uh, it's a drug and alcohol free journey, which is very important to how it has seemed to be so successful and helpful for people. Um, we uh, each year a destination host steps forward and says, we'll be the final place and we'll host a celebration at the end for uh, between four and seven days. The, then the primary goal of the intertribal canoe journey is very concrete, which seems to have helped it to be so successful. And that is to arrive at the same place at the same time by canoe. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of, of that experience. Mm -hmm. That's super cool. And so um, this usually happens every year, correct? Yes, usually every year, but during COVID we have, uh, we haven't done it since uh, at the big canoe journey as the, uh, since the COVID, you know, became a factor, but mm -hmm. there's been several other smaller canoe trips with, uh, you know, maybe one canoe, maybe four or five canoes. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of like different canoe journeys that people can be part of, right? So um, what's the big one called? And then what are all the smaller ones? Well, um, the big one is, um, well, we just call it the intertribal canoe journey. And there's, well, and then each year, each host designates a theme, like it might be a journey with our ancestors or... Mm -hmm. um, uh, remembering our past or um, uh, some other theme, which uh, so the, and they, they could call it. And then there's sometimes a name like the 
Puyallup tribe had a power paddle to Puyallup was the name of their journey. That was in 1998. And then they used the same name when they hosted again, was it 20 years later? And yeah, 20 years later in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So it's, uh, yeah. So each year it's kind of personalized by the host tribe and, you know, they do it their way. And they're the ones who the host tribe is or the destination hosts to be more particular is the, um, the one who helps to kind of organize it each year. So they'll go out and have meetings around the region. And of course now on zoom, we use zoom and, um, they'll inform people about the different aspects of the canoe journey. And then they'll work with the, uh, different canoe families to develop the schedule, the itinerary for how we're gonna to get to, this, to the destination host community. That's cool. And um, so the destination host, does it mean that it's like a tribe or is it like a specific family who does that? Uh, when we do the big canoe journey, it's like a, a tribe or a Canadian First Nation and um, so um, they're the hosts and they, you know, it's pretty much, it takes so many resources, including money to host that uh, it's important for a whole tribal community to put its energy behind it. It's Cause it can cost, uh, uh, usually they cost at least a million and a million and a half dollars to host for, you know, for them to do that, help put on that canoe journey for that year to pay for staff, to organize the canoe journey and then all the staff at the destination host like uh, security and cooks and paying for equipment like renting giant tents so that we can um, be covered from the elements and bleachers so that people have a place to sit. So um, so it gets to be pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And so talking a little bit more about canoe families, what does that look like? Um, and uh, what, what are canoe families, if you can explain? Yeah, well, maybe a little bit about the canoes first, the actual canoes. So, of course, there's a long tradition uh, since time immemorial of canoes traveling in these waters. Um, the native people use them and usually they were dugout canoes and there's different styles that were made. Um, they're usually made, as far as I know, they've always been made out of cedar, uh, which is really good material for carving. They may have been made uh, from other trees, but I don't know. And so those canoes, uh, uh, they could, you know, fairly small, like say two or three person canoes. And then there's up to like 50 person canoes or there were like, 50, 60 feet uh, long canoes that were, um, you know, pretty big. But now most of our canoes are between, um, uh, probably start at like 28 foot going up to about 40 foot. And um, so those canoes can hold like, um, like uh, let's say, uh, five to 20 
pullers we call the people who paddle the canoes and so there's one skipper per canoe of course or there may be people that trade off so um so then you know it's like we are kind of organized into what we call canoe families and each canoe family is responsible for itself and helping to figure out how they're going to get the resources available to travel on the canoe journey. And uh, that means raising money and having a canoe and finding vehicles to help carry, we carry things and uh, having boats for support and safety to travel along with this, like a, uh, motorboats so um and the ages of the people that are involved are i mean we have as young as uh, newborn infants to uh up to uh, 100 years old there are people who participate in one way or another um of course not everybody paddles in the canoe in fact some canoe families uh, may have more people that travel by land as what we call the ground support or gr ground crew um, and then, then are out in the actual canoes, um, depending on different factors, but people want to go on it, on that journey a lot. And, uh, so there may be people who, for one reason or another, don't go in the canoes, like because of age, health, or just, you know, they don't want to be there, don't want to be out on those waters because they can be pretty dangerous. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And so can you also share a little bit more about what does the actual journey look like? So um, I know you've been on a couple of canoe journeys. So um, what does it look like when you're in the, your canoe journey um, and with your, you know, canoe family? What are some of like activities that happen? Well, yeah, I've been on uh, uh, every canoe journey since 1996. Oh, wow. Participated in one way or another, most often, usually I at least paddle for some of it, but I've, you know, been an organizer. Mm -hmm. So um, the, uh, so often the canoes will come from different directions. Like often we start from our own territory. Like um, I travel, usually travel with the Macaw Ocean Going Canoe family. And we start at Nia Bay on our reservation out on the, uh, it's on the corner of, uh, the Olympic Peninsula, where the Strait of Juan de Fuca and the Pacific Ocean meet. So if like the journey could be in southern Puget Sound, and so we'll travel from there. And then usually like the um, we'll stop at each tribal community along the way. And they often start at from their tribal community. And so it kind of snowballs. Um, and say there, the, uh, say there's a um, canoe journey to the South Puget Sound, then canoes would maybe come down also on the mainland side. And uh, um, many canoes come from Canada, so they might paddle across to uh, from Vancouver Island to Port Angeles mm -hmm. on the Washington side and paddle down to the South Puget Sound. So, um, so Port Angeles is like one place, for instance, where a lot of canoes come together and it's the canoe journey becomes pretty big. And then we continue on and we pick up more uh, canoe families as we go along. Mm -hmm. uh, canoe family, 
they vary in all kinds of ways from in size, but I'd say that the average size now is about what 25 or 50 people. Um, let's say, well, we usually have about um, 100 canoes, 80 to 100 canoes. And so, and uh, some of those canoes travel together as one canoe family that maybe they're from the same tribe and that whole tribe is kind of a canoe family and they organize their food and funding and crews um, that way. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a, that's, kind of, that's sort of how it works. And then often we'll practice our songs and dances and share them on the way down and stop at eat when we stop at di different communities and um, when we arrive at the destination host, then that week of celebration, that four to seven days of celebration, we is filled with all the different canoe families sharing their songs and dances, their traditional songs and dances. And um, so, and sometimes we have to go like about 12 hours a day to get enough people in. Sometimes we've gone a canoe I mean, a destination host has hosted for as many as 24 hours, you know, for days at a time mm -hmm. to make sure that there's enough time for all the mm -hmm. folks to be able to share. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine with so many people, like it's, you know, a lot of coordinating and ensuring that there's enough food and, you know, resources for everyone. So how do you guys sort of manage that? And like, what does it look like to ensure everyone uh, gets what they need? Uh well, um, the destination host, you know, they take care of the time that we're there at their homeland. And um, so they will often serve like breakfast and lunch each day. I mean, excuse me, breakfast and dinner each day and then lunch is on our own. And um, so, you know, they'll hire cooks. They'll use their whatever cooking facilities they have. Sometimes they rent cooking facilities. So like they may have a tribal school that they use, uh, their tribal center um, may have like a kitchen that can be used. Um, and then when we're traveling, each canoe family, well, actually, usually we get a lot of, we, we when we travel, a lot of our like breakfasts and dinners are paid for by the hosts along the way, those tribal communities that we stop at along the way. Um, but then, you know, we have to, and then we, sometimes they'll even provide us some food to help us out when we go out on the water. So like some boxes of sandwiches and fruit for us to take out on the water that day when we travel away from their territory. Um, and then, and then of course our ground crew is, they will often be the ones who are preparing meals for us, including preparing lunches for us when we're out on the water, but also dinner when we get to shore and breakfast before we leave. That's really awesome that they do that. Um, and so, you know, what does the cuisine kind of look like? Is it a lot of native food or what do you guys get to eat? Yeah, um, there is quite a bit. Uh, a lot of uh, seafood, shellfish and other kinds of fish like salmon. Yeah. And um, then also uh, there'll be um, like uh, venison and elk. 
that's been um, uh, that people have hunted and provided for our trip. Um, and then a lot of stuff that we buy from the store, you know, and uh, so, and then you know, we have ice chests to keep stuff cool that we need to keep cool. So um, we try to do healthy. Some canoe families are like, okay, no sugar, no candy, no pop during the canoe journey. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the same thinking, some canoe families are no tobacco use for anybody in their canoe family. And the overall canoe journey, everybody knows and everybody tries to abide by no drugs and alcohol during the canoe journey. And of course, no violence. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, those uh, and the those kind of factors, especially the no drugs and alcohol, seem to really contribute to the experience and people uh it's an opportunity to do something really fun and exciting with other people, have this deep, powerful experience while they're clean and sober, sometimes for the first time in a while. And there's a number of people who have found it, uh, they've uh, found it really helpful to maintain their sobriety, to have this kind of experience. And then um, some people have been motivated to quit after their experience and stay abstinent. Um, so, uh, and it's like, there's a lot of healing going on and a lot of people who, you know, find that this helps with various traumas that they have had in their life. Uh, so um, that's one of the big things that when I was first in the canoe journey, that to me was a really powerful thing. And it's known as being that, um, some people say that it's the best treatment, drug and alcohol treatment program for natives. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's so, but it does seem to be really good for that. And it's, of course, uh, it wouldn't be probably as good as if they people start going, being sent to it just for their drug and alcohol and problems. But uh, so, yeah, it's um, quite wonderful. I think one of the big unique things about the canoe journey that I've been th look, thinking about for the last few years is that there's no organization behind it. I mean, there's no formal uh, incorporated organization or whatever. It's like, it is, um, it kind of runs itself and it's, I would describe it as a social network mm -hmm. and there's um, like, there's no, Part of, part of that is that no canoe family has any authority over any other canoe family to tell them what to do. So we're all equal partners as canoe families. Within the canoe families, it is, um, uh, there. well, there is a usually a strong hierarchy and at least on the canoe, of course, um, uh, as you can imagine, it's like you can't really have a voting democracy when you're out on the canoe because you have to make decisions quickly like turn right turn left or go faster go slower or stop you know so um and then uh and then so you can work as a team but you have the, somebody who's you know calling out the signals of what to do uh and then uh there may be people that are that usually the skipper is one of the leaders of the canoe family and there's usually like somebody 
on the ground crew or maybe one or two or three more persons who are the uh, leaders of that canoe family. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And so um, can you share some stories that you have from the canoe journey? And, you know, what are your like most memorable experiences you've had? Well, um, I guess like when I first uh, was on my first canoe journey in 1996, we did a journey that was focused on youth. So we tried to do it in safer waters with shorter distances than might normally be done on a canoe journey. So we were doing the Puget Sound area. And that year we started at a tribe called Suquamish, which is near Bainbridge Island. And um, we paddled uh, down through uh, Tacoma, where the Puyallup tribe is. We paddled to um, the Nisqually territory, which is south of Tacoma, between Tacoma and Olympia. And then we paddled to Squaxin Island. And um, we... Uh, so that journey was, you know, that was a big thing for me. And so that journey was an experience that I had where I felt like even though we were traveling through this mainstream area of all these cities in Puget Sound, but because we were our kind of our own group, it was like, okay, I'm really living like in a native life, you know, and a native experience where, um, and that felt really good. And um, we had made some wonderful connections and with each other. So, uh, and then towards the end, we were camping on the island, Squaxin Island, that's owned by the Squaxin Island tribe. And I just remember waking up and having, there was a sunrise and I saw out the door of my tent and somehow I was just really touched. And then I, then, um, I just really felt like this canoe journey is something really special. So later that year, I just, I said, okay, I'm going to commit my life to the canoe journey. Um, let's see, uh, other experiences. Uh, it's hard to say, you know, it's like, in some ways, it's like um, having these days of traveling by canoe and paddling, it just kind of, it's a very spiritual and emotional experience and a really, really good social experience with other people. And it feels, it feels very healing mm -hmm. to be on the water like that. And, uh, you know, it's like people like to go out in the wilderness. So this is something akin to that. And, um, uh, let's see. Well, um, one year or actually, well, Cup, I guess a couple years, but I was in a canoe that tipped over. So oh, no. <laughs> that's quite scary. And our canoes, the way that they're made, the, the difficult situations for us are when the winds get faster than 10 or 15 miles an hour for, for a while and they kick up waves. And then that's easy for the waves, relatively easy for the waves to come into at least some of the canoes. And if that happens, then they usually get swamped. So we were coming around the corner, the, uh, I guess you'd call it the southeast corner of Vancouver Island. And the currents, when in those kind of places, the currents are can become very strong and very uh, unpredictable mm -hmm. as the tides change. Uh, 
and as they interact with these different land masses. And so we were going through there and uh, this big kind of yacht was close to us, like maybe a 50 foot yacht. And all of a sudden they started going fast and it, somehow it kicked up the waters. And all of a sudden we had like these standing waves and um, it's like being in a river with rapids where there's just these waves are just there and we had to go through them. And, and then we filled up with water and capsized. And um, so that was exciting. And most of my crew was, uh, I was the skipper and most of my crew were like uh, young teens. So that was kind of scary for them. And we were, we, uh, were able to uh, upright the can, can, uh, capsized canoe and uh, we got some help from some fishermen, nearby fishermen who took us in the boat to one of our big support boats, a big old trawler. So we got on there and then we finished the day of the, that day canoe journey by riding on that boat. So, um, and so the kind of the big danger of the canoe journey is actually re usually related to cold, being getting cold, getting hypothermia. Mm, I'm sure. If you get in the water or if you get rained on. And actually, probably the most dangerous thing, surprisingly enough, is when people are in open support boats and the wind comes up and is strong. And then if they don't have the proper protection, like jackets and stuff, they mm -hmm. get cold. And so, um, and that can happen, like it'll be a beautiful sunny morning and they start out and then maybe in the early afternoon, the wind often comes up and just really uh, can blow hard, especially the Strait of Juan de Fuca is, gets really windy in the afternoons usually. Mm. Oh, and I can imagine with all those little land masses and the wind trying to go through the the strait, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's just like a cumulative thing. So it's hard to for me to right now to think of something too exciting, but it's, it's like really wonderful to be uh, at the, when people are sharing their culture, they're dancing and singing. We have often have big audiences watching and mm -hmm. we each take our turns and it's fun to hear the songs. And then actually something that's really fun is like, there are some songs that like everybody knows and we sing together and, uh, and there are dances that everybody knows and sings together. And um, uh, those are really fun to do. So um, I mean, like, you know, so you might have hundreds and hundreds of people out on the dance floor dancing and hundreds on the side singing for the dance. So. Um. Wow. And yeah. And so um, what are some of the songs that are sung? Are they, you know, sung in like tribal languages or? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about the sort of dances and activities that go on. Yeah, so um, like our tribe has a lot of songs and dances that we uh, we all know and like community songs and dances. And so um, and then there's kind of two ways to do. Uh, I think a lot of folk songs throughout the world are like this, where some have words in their own language and they some have maybe more vocalizing like saying ho 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 he ah, you know like that like um and then others and then there might be a part that use uh 
uh, our tribal languages in part that have vocalizing. And we also have some, also have some songs that are sung in English. So, um, uh, uh, that have been composed recently. And um, uh, probably well, the majority of songs that we sing together are in uh, uh, Coast Salish languages, which there's uh, several different languages, major language groups that the Coast Salish spoke. And the shoot seed is the one that's uh, was the language that was common in the South Puget Sound. Mm -hmm. Like in Seattle, Tacoma on south from there. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine there's people from all different tribes and backgrounds there. So um, what are some of the tribes that are represented there? And like, do they, you know, sing their own songs? Yes, most of the tribes, yeah, they sing their own songs. Um, and uh, and the tribes are from uh, all around the Salish Sea from uh down near southern, down in the southern Puget Sound, up into um, uh, up the Puget Sound, up into British Columbia, in the Strait of Georgia, and all the nearby waterways there, and then even farther up north, all going up uh, past the Strait of Georgia, up Vancouver Island, up into um, farther up into British Columbia, um, and then we also, and then also on the uh, Oregon. Washington and British Columbia coasts. We have tribes that come and participate. And Alaska, they don't they don't usually paddle down all the way from Alaska, but we have a lot of people from who are either come from Alaska, that's where they're living now, but and there are also a lot of Alaska natives who live in uh, the Puget Sound area that have moved, you know, down here and live here. And so they they will go on the canoe journey. We also have uh, people come from around the world. Um, this year I paddled with a group from Hawaii. Um, I mean, we they traveled with us. Their, their uh, outrigger canoe came with us. We have people come from New Zealand uh, fairly often. Uh, the uh, indigenous people of uh, Northern Japan, the uh, Ainu. Ainu, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there's indigenous people from Taiwan who have come and participated in their watercraft. We have people come from Long Island, New York, from tribes there. We've had people from Greenland. Wow. And I think we had some from uh, like Northern Scandinavia. Um, uh, so uh, indigenous people from there. So yeah, there's, uh, and we've had, well, actually we've had um, people come from the Aleutian Islands and from the Bering Sea. So um, yeah, so it's uh, pretty much an international experience and, you know, international between our tribal nations, but also from other nation states around the world. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so cool. Um, and so just to talk a little bit more about the significance, um, why is canoe journey important to you? And you've been involved in so many years. Um, what does it mean to you? Ah, that's a good question. Well, when I, I used to have a, well, I used to hear people say, everybody goes, the real meaning of the canoe journey is, and then fill in the blank for what they, what they got out of it, I think, or how they saw the canoe journey. Mm -hmm. And we even uh, asked, um, we even had some surveys where we asked that, of the people and they 
we got a lot of different answers. So for me, the real meaning of the canoe journey is what it means to each individual, family, and community. And um, it's a real social thing where we can come together and it is a very healing thing. And um, so uh, I've felt healed by it and I know many other people do. So, and those of us who've had that kind of experience are the kind of people that usually stay with the canoe journey year after year and kind of help to hold it together, you know, with um, our experiences and knowledge of the canoe journey. Mm -hmm. And speaking of healing, um, you know, you're involved with like meditation and Buddhism. So like in terms of the indigenous community, you know, what does the healing look like on the tribe or the intertribal journey and do you have any stories maybe of, you know, how people have been affected? Well, uh, one person I know um, before, just before she went, not long before she went on her first, first canoe journey with her family, her daughters and sons, uh, her husband had committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. And so I don't know what it was. I didn't ever ask her what it, the actual thing that seemed to be, but she goes on the canoe journey for healing for those kind of traumas that she's had in her life. Uh, another friend of mine, he said, uh, I don't know what the nature of his early experiences were exactly. Um, but uh, he said, if he had to give up a relationship or a job, if he had to choose between a relationship or a job, he would choose to going on the canoe journey. He wouldn't let a job or relationship keep him from going. So he would end the relationship or quit the job so that he made sure he went on the annual canoe journey. So, um, and I guess uh, uh, almost everybody in this world has suffered some time, a, some type of trauma and carries some vestiges of that. And it seems that our native community has more than its share of trauma that it experiences, uh, all the problems that we can have in the world, like uh, violence and sexual abuse and um, drug and alcohol abuse. So um, so there's a lot of a lot of people seem to be kind of healed by that experience, I think, by combining uh, their traditional culture with a healing experience and being able to go on this journey with other people, it just has a real powerful effect. I think that part of the power of it is that it's not easy. It's very difficult. And uh, not only is it difficult for us physically, but also when you're with a group of people like that in close quarters, you're camping together, you're in the canoe together, or you're driving your cars to the next place together, there's a lot of opportunity for conflict. And so, and I think having a, that we're kind of held together to go on this canoe journey, we deal, we often deal well with the conflict. And one of the uh, ways that we do it that's very useful is having talking circles mm -hmm. in, on along the canoe journey. And, and sometimes canoes will, they'll be having so much conflict, they'll just say, 
we're staying on the shore today to process what's going on with our canoe family and they'll catch up uh, later. So, um, and I think that is very healing to like have the experience of being able to go through conflict. And then it really helps you to be closer to people if you can work through conflict together. And then uh, a lot of canoe families, it's like they, uh, you know, they go on the canoe journey together. They come from a community, they organize to go on the canoe journey. They go on the canoe journey and then they come back home, go back to their home, like uh, it's usually you know, like a tribal community and they can support each other in that change. They have these people in there that they've had this powerful experience with who are also uh interested in staying healthy and staying interested and also uh, helping to continue on in the canoe journey. And I've seen that uh, there are people who get more closely connected with their canoe families than with their family of origin. And they uh, get more support. Like they might be having some troubles and the canoe family might be trying to support them in a good way. So, um, and that that actually kind of uh, something that happens a lot of times when people go away to inpatient drug and alcohol treatment um, or even jail, prison, they go away, they learn some new things, maybe they get clean and sober, they come back to the same community, they have the same friends and that are doing the same things, so the same relatives that they hang out with, and it's like really hard to to change that you know to come back go away as an individual to treatment and come back to the same environment uh, group of people but with the canoe journey we go away together as a group and we can come back together as a, go back to our community as a group and have that support and connection mm -hmm. that's awesome i'm so glad to hear that you know it's really impactful for people and um since you've worked you know as a mental health counselor like what are some of the other ways that um the indigenous community heals itself because like you mentioned it's so important especially with generational trauma and just all of the um unfortunate like types of violence that occur in the community you know what are some other ways that indigenous communities like to come together and heal well, there's, of course, all kinds, but I think that uh, church is one that's very helpful for people. In fact, a lot of um, uh, people, that's how they become sober, you mm -hmm. know, maybe even try it other ways, but then they get involved with the church and have a powerful experience. And somehow that helps them to stay clean and sober. And they often want to help other people to become clean and sober. Um, and become like become drug and alcohol counselors and most of our tribes in fact probably all of our tribes they have various forms of drug and alcohol services that are somewhat along the models of mainstream but then um, often they're adapted to be uh, that maybe more um, connected to the community more than uh, those systems normally would be and then um so we some of the modalities include the talking circle, as I mentioned before, and then a lot of people do the sweat lodge, which mm -hmm. seems to be really powerful for people. Um, and then there's some native uh, 
religions that from the Pacific Northwest that people are involved in. And some people take up uh, sort of like uh, spiritual practices from other native communities, like a lot of the Plains communities. In fact, they brought the sweat lodges and uh, the sweat lodge tradition here. And then um, there's uh, uh, in, in Indian activities or cult, uh, community activities like powwows are a way that um, uh, people come together and that seems to people really get into that. And they have powwows, people, there'll be a lot of people who are singing and dancing and some powwows, they have dance contests. Um, and then um, and they have other activities and uh, kind of a festival type atmosphere that uh, people enjoy. And those are usually like weekend experiences. So they'll have different powwows around uh, the Puget Sound, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's a really fun way. I, I got to go to my first powwow not too long ago, and that was a really unique and amazing experience. And the dances and just the immense talent that everyone has there. It was really cool to see. Yeah. And then I think uh, something that's really helpful uh, for any community in which we neglect too often is having intergenerational experiences. So you may have seen at the powwow that there are lots of uh, families there and that they have activities like dancing contests for the, the, I think they might call it tiny tots or something for the oh, youngest. Yes, I've heard of that. Mm -hmm. And then on up to adults. So, uh, and then usually, and it's divided usually by gender. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then people get to see their old friends and hang out. And that's one of the, I guess, that's one of the powerful things about the canoe journey too, is like, I, I, my, I see it as like, we get together each year. We have these powerful experiences with each other. And we're usually on our best behavior. And often we don't know, well, we don't know most of the people from in their lives. We don't know them from their lives outside of the canoe journey. So they may be really a messed up person and looked down upon in their community, but yeah. come to the canoe journey and people really respect them and appreciate them. And uh, uh, I remember one day it was like, like, we were just, it was just electric. It was just a day where, we just felt so good. It was like we were just smiling at each other and feeling great. And, you know, and it's like, and just, and we, it's I, often I go to the canoe journey and it's like just so great to see all these friends and stuff that I uh, haven't seen very much of oh, through the year. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's quite amazing. At the end of uh, one canoe journey, with my macaw canoe family that I'm a part of, we, the journey was done. All the celebrating was done, but some of us were able to stay on the last, uh, like one more night. And then we were like a Sunday night and we were going to leave Monday. And I remember we were just hanging out and doing nothing, but feeling really good and just sitting there and just really having a pleasant glow of good feeling. So um that is uh that is something that's really special and w especially when you get to share it with other people mm -hmm. that's wonderful and so um 
talking a little bit more, I guess, about your Macaw family, um, what, how many people do you guys have? And like, you know, what are some of the things that you guys did together? Yeah, good question. Um, I never counted them. <laughs> but uh, we usually, it seems like we have usually about a group of about 50 people. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the numbers change because people sometimes if if they're we're not if we're within a drive driving distance, people will maybe come on the weekend when they're not working mm -hmm. and they have to go back to work. So they'll be there for a couple of days and or other people will have a week off, but the journey's two weeks. So they'll just come for, you know, that one week. And um, but uh, usually we have about 40 or 50, but uh, we, when we went to uh, Bella Bella, which is about a 600 mile canoe journey from Seattle or from Nia Bay, we had a much smaller group that went. So, and we shared a canoe with, we have a tra uh, tra group that we travel with now, another canoe family from the, it's the Moachit canoe family. And Moachit's another New Chalnuth band from far up Vancouver Island. And so they have their canoe and then they have a uh, like an old fishing boat that um, one of the family members uh, runs. That's his boat and he brings it for the safety boat. So it's a really good boat for, you know, being out in these waters. So if we have to get off the water because it's too windy or something, then we can get on that boat and tow the canoes behind us. So for, uh, you know, we always try to. We we're always very mindful of safety and mm -hmm. we try to say safety first, but of course, if you, we, if we were trying to be really safe, we wouldn't even go out, but you know. Mm -hmm. And um, in total, like how many people attend and like how many families are there? Well, uh, so as I said, there's about a hundred canoes. Mm -hmm. So there might be some canoe families that have three or four canoes and uh many canoe families that just have one canoe and so and then uh one way to um get a one way to count people is by who how much how many people eat so the cooks are the best ones at telling you how many people ate so that gives you a pretty good idea so usually on the date like when we land it's a very celebratory experience when we land on the final day of the canoe journey at our destination hosts community and um so then they have a big feast and usually they say that the cooks say they feed about six or 7,000 people. Wow. And then, uh, then they're, uh, throughout the week, there might kind of go up and down, but let's, I would say they probably at least, the common number is like three to 4,000 people that they feed for dinner for that, uh, for the days that we stay there at the end. So, um, and then at the, uh, Lummi canoe journey in 20 or no what year? yeah 2007 the they counted 18,000 people oh my goodness to the landing That's so um, so sometimes like there was one canoe uh, or one destination host and it's close to Seattle and they said uh, we don't want to publicize this because we're so close to these big cities that if a whole bunch of people come, we're not big enough to be able to handle that. So um, when I have felt criticized, like I, you know, part of my job at American Friends Service Committee and at the Nakani Native Program after I retired from American Friends was working on the canoe journey. 
And when I felt defensive sometimes about people saying, oh, what's this canoe journey? What, why are we doing this project? Um, you know, I would think, you know, actually, this project is too successful. How many programs can say that we're too successful? We have too many participants. You know, it's too expensive. It's too much, too many people to really handle easily. But, um, but we do it. And we do it without having an organization. Mm -hmm. That's really incredible. Um, and actually, if we did have an organization, it could it would probably be like seven canoes go on a canoe journey each year. And everybody goes, the organization writes up a report and says, oh, we did this great thing. You know, give us more money. But, uh, you know, but that that's kind of a, a way I've seen a lot of programs run. But we do it in a way that it's like the community organizes itself. Mm -hmm. And I think that that I think I think that people should be looking closely at that model of how we have how we have done the canoe journey and see if there's things that they can do that are similar. Mm -hmm. Use some of the same ideas of like, you know, no hierarchy. What? How can you have no hierarchy? Who's in charge? You know, so, well, we figure it out. And I think a big part of the reason why we do it is because out of love, out of love for each other, out of love for the canoe journey. And, um, you know, love and respect and care. And a lot of us, the reason why we continue doing the canoe journey is because we want to have other people have that experience. Like, um, I, uh, I know people that will like say, okay, well, I won't paddle in the canoe, even though I love to do it, but I'd like to have these other people have an opportunity to experience the paddling in the canoe and having a deeper experience of the canoe journey, because it probably will be something really wonderful for them, just as it was for so many other people. Mm -hmm. And just to follow up on that, so two questions, like can non-Indigenous people attend and for those who are interested? And also um, there's... Are there multiple throughout the year that people can do? So, um, yes, we have a lot of non-Indigenous people. I would guess that we have about 80% Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've, uh, but we have like spouses, um, friends of Indigenous people or that, are, that are coming. We have uh, employees of tribal, like the tribal, um, administrations, the tribal staff who participate in one way or another. Um, we have uh, people who are just somehow they find out about it. Maybe they're interested in paddling and they and they want to come on the journey. So uh, it's it's pretty open, which can be a little bit of a problem. Sometimes we get people that really shouldn't be there or participating, at least the way that they do. But, uh, you know, overall, it's like um, uh, very powerful experience. If people want to do it, uh, if they want to be in touch with me, I could try to help connect them with somebody. And there are various websites and Facebook pages that talk about the canoe journey. Uh, probably the most active website that I know of about the canoe journey is from an organization that I'm a, uh, on the board of, uh, and it mostly is uh, Canadian based. And that's called allnationspaddlesup.com. So one, you know, one, one word, uh, or allnationspaddlesup.com. 
And uh, so that we have different events that we're sponsoring, especially while there isn't this overall canoe journey. So we're sponsoring uh, a couple of canoe journeys this this summer. Um, and so if people are interested in going, you know, and I've tried to get like uh, people that I think would be good candidates, good non-Indians to go on this canoe journey so they can have that experience. We've had uh, organizations like Greenpeace who've sent their staff to go on the canoe journey. And um, uh, people are, some people like they want to do that because it's really important that we connect with uh, other entities and other, in these kind of ways. So like uh, environmental organizations and tribes have had some big successes in the recent years in helping to deal with environmental issues. Um, and so, but, you know, it's surprising to me. It's I, I was surprised. Now I'm not. Now I kind of take it for granted that yes, tribal culture is different, especially you know, and that some people who uh, even people who've had multicultural experiences, they think, oh, well, I can go on the canoe journey and be with people. I know how to be with people of a different culture, but there's some big differences, and I've seen some people struggle with that. But that's part of the thing you know that's how we learn so um uh mm -hmm. we're glad to have uh non-indians participate the canoe journey actually is uh it's it's very cross-cultural not all and actually it's a big our some of our tribes and peoples of the pacific northwest you know the northwest coast we have some big differences and it can be some struggles between us sometimes and our um, connecting with the other groups. But then for, you know, non-natives to come in, it's a, it's a big thing. And I've seen like, it's really hard for white people, especially that I've seen, it's mostly, you know, white, non-Indians to come, but we have a lot of Latinos and um, who participate. Uh, not so many African-Americans, although, of course, a lot of us natives are mixed with different um, uh, ethnic groups like African-American, Asian, uh, uh, white. So, um, we, you know, so there's folks with, <laughs> we have a different, all kinds of ethnicities that are uh, connected to us in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what um, has the canoe journey looked like with COVID? I know that posed a big challenge and you guys had to go virtual, but um, what did that look like? Yeah, the canoe journey was basically the host, the destination host had to cancel um, for three years. There was two Canadian hosts, uh, one for 2020, one for 2021, who canceled. And then this year, uh, Muckleshoot was going to host uh, Muckleshoot Tribe near Seattle and Tacoma. <clears throat> they actually they postponed until next year, so mm -hmm. they're committed to doing it next year. And if things continue to look up with COVID, and then we've done these like smaller canoe journeys, like of just a few canoes, um, and uh, so that's nice. And I think there's like. Some there's some happening that I've just heard of a little bit. I participated in one last summer. We only had 
one canoe. This May, we had about four or five canoes. And then uh, in July and early August, we had about five canoes who participated at least for part of the journey. So, um, uh, you know, we because we, we were worried about COVID. And of course, this summer, it's for, you know, we've been not worrying about COVID so much as we did before. So, and we didn't have any cases that I know of that related to our uh, getting together. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention too, is the canoe journey is things are happening year round. And one of the things is that we have meetings to plan it throughout the year. And uh, a lot of us like to get together that way. Mm-hmm. And like say once or twice a month throughout the region, we also, um, we used to have like jam sessions, we call them after these meetings, but then people started going, uh, I don't like going to the meetings. I like the jam sessions. So, um, so, uh, some folks up in Lummi years back, they said, let's have a jam session. And so now there are throughout the winter and other times people have a jam session and it's like, we get together and sing songs, share each other's songs and, um and dances so um like so i went to one down in uh at the squawks and island tribe and they um uh I, we stayed overnight there and um enjoyed that enjoyed that experience uh, when the university of washington has a their one of the native students put on a big powwow there there's usually a northwest coast jam session um, as part of that, during part of that time. Mm-hmm. And is it mostly just like song and dance that's shared there? Yeah. And, uh, companionship, I guess you could say too. So, um, and then, uh, yeah. And then I think at the other jam sessions, they probably share meals and stuff. I don't, I haven't been to very many of those, but, um, uh, it's mm-hmm. cool. And so you said there's multiple throughout the year, right? So um, I guess looking to the future, what I guess are your hopes for future canoe journeys and what do you think the future of these events will be? Um, well, yeah, I think it'll keep going. It'll be doing the what it's been doing. Uh, it'll be transforming. Uh, some of us old timers kind of complain about it's not like how it used to be, you know, for <laughs> things yeah. change, I guess. It's hard to go with that sometimes. And maybe uh, uh, there are people who don't have the same perspective that we do on the canoe journey. And there there are some, in the early days, there are people, people who had visions of what it could be. I mean, you know, like uh, envisioned what it could be, uh, all the good things that it could do and had some philosophy behind that. And uh, it's hard to keep that going with such a dynamic group that was so, there's so many people who come on it for a while, so many new people who participate. Um, so I think that, but I think it'll keep going because it's such a powerful thing. Um, the, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what? there is there is a deep spirit that was engendered in the beginning that, you know, with folks having uh, some, uh, core ideas of what should, it should be about. So there is something called the 10 rules of the canoe, which are kind of like uh, 
code or creed for the canoe journey. And then there is something we uh, called the copper ring ceremony mm-hmm. where those rules are uh, presented and people in that ceremony commit to hold those uh, values and uh, follow that code. Um, and then you receive a copper ring uh, that like you wear around your neck, like, like there's a, uh, it's like a necklace or a medallion, but it's a cop, a copper ring about an inch and a half in diameter. And, um, so, uh, people go through that ceremony and that seems to really help to kind of bring, um, that deep philosophy of what the canoe journey is about to those folks now. Um, unfortunately, those copper rings are made by hand. If somebody's into it, they, it would be great if we got more help making them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but yeah, so I think uh, there are those things and we're trying to do things to help uh, get the memories of old timers like me and others so that they can be shared with others and you know unfortunately you know we've had many of our elder and younger uh canoe leaders leaders of this canoe movement who passed away many who really brought some great things that helped to make this such a wonderful experience for so many people Mm -hmm. yeah well that's awesome that you guys are doing this and I really hope that this keeps going on as well. Maybe in the future, I'd love to join myself. Um, that's super. You better come. <laughs> you better come. Actually, well, you yeah. probably won't be able to come, but there is one in September up in Canada on a weekend up there. That's for women. Okay. That's cool. So, so uh, uh, look on that all nations paddles up website and mm-hmm get some more information. And I guess you should put a link for that on your originative website. I will. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Something else that helps to uh, pass on the legacy of the canoe journey is a book uh, that's called the canoe journey handbook. And it's about 80 pages and um, it has various things in there like lists of equipment to bring and some history of the canoe journey and some uh, stories like that, that are presented as um, um, lessons from the elders. And um, so I um, would suggest people look at that and then that there's a link to that. Or, I mean, there's not, a, there's a, that is posted on the, uh, Nakani Native Programs website under resources. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that people find that to be very helpful to help uh, them get prepared to go on the canoe journey, especially if, if it's their first time. Mm-hmm. That sounds super cool. Yeah. Did you help make it by any chance? Yeah, I was the originator of it and did, I was basically the publisher of it for about five years. And then, uh, some other people uh, adapted it so that it would be, I did it as an annual thing with that included navigational charts and things to help the canoe families. But um, uh, some folks adapted it so that it would be uh, kind of an ongoing thing that wouldn't have to be uh, re redone each year. So mm-hmm. that's super cool. Yeah, I'll check that out. Um, 
And yeah, just wondering, like, are there any sort of other ceremonies or things that like I didn't cover that you wanted to share? Well, uh, one of the things that we do too is uh, different groups will sponsor cold water safety trainings. Mm. We'll do things like um, we'll be trained. We'll have trainers come and talk to us about how to uh, be out on these colder waters and what to do if people fall in and get cold or um, how to use radios and uh, other things like that. How do you we use uh, handheld VHF radios in the canoes for helping to communicate with each other so that we can stay in touch. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those cold water safety trainings are usually really enjoyable to attend to. Mm -hmm. Are they usually done by like nonprofits? Oh, canoe family would say, well, we're going to have a cold water safety training and then they'll find somebody who's going to do the training. So this year um, we did one when we had a canoe journey that started and finished on Vancouver Island that went through the San Juan Islands. And um, so the first day of our canoe journey, we had people from the Coast Guard doing training. We had a paramedic who talked about the various things like, you know, like if uh, for especially like things like sun and hypothermia, sun, sun, too much sun exposure or heat exposure and hypothermia. Um, so and we had somebody who was training us in proper paddling techniques. So um, so those uh, like those often have happened, like, say, through the spring and early summer, like a different community, tribal community will say that yeah, we're going to host a safety training. When we did ours in, uh, we do one in Nia Bay often on Memorial Weekend, and one of the a retired Coast Guard person trains us. He's the main trainer for us. So, and then we'll go out in the canoes and maybe we'll try to swamp, we'll, we'll swamp them or tip them over, and then you know have to figure out how to get it so we can get paddling again. Mm -hmm. So, cool. And um, how do you guys get, you know, sponsored? Like, is it like a whole with the tribes partnership or like nonprofits? There's uh, all kinds of ways. So um, I say that some like in the beginning, actually, what I what I was thinking about is, you know, in my job, I I uh, the people who had my job before they provided a lot of support for the tribes and the tribal administrations and governments, but um, on policies and different political issues. But by the time I came around, when I started at American Front Service Committee in 1993, I felt like the tribes were doing really well. They had lawyers and consultants and very educated staff and experienced staff and community members, and so. But I felt like our communities could be healthier. And there was a lot of indicators, social economic indicators that uh, said we were we had a lot of unhealth in our communities. So uh, and I identified uh, uh, one of the big causes as being uh, the neocolonialist situation that tribes are in, where the federal government says, you have to have a constitution and a government like kind of like ours, you know, like the US, United States is. Mm -hmm. And then 
you have to elect you have and including having tribal elected tribal leaders and what are commonly called tribal councils and we will work with those tribal leaders and uh and admit basically you know the federal government and the tribal leaders will work together to help deal do what needs to be done for the tribes and that's actually you know not an inefficient that's a probably more efficient way to do things uh like with and using a bureaucracy than a lot of other ways could be but um long story short uh it seems like that that can be very disempowering to community members and so um and contribute to malaise in the community which contributes to many other things all the, all the other social problems that can occur so um i was like boy it seems like there should be something that's really exciting that people want to do that'll help them to get off their butts and have to do things like get organized and raise money and um so i was looking for something like that you know i'd actually to something that's grassroots so that they don't have to depend upon the tribe because the tribe often tries to do everything for their people and control everything and in one way or another and in which results in a disempowering of people so um uh while i was kind of i was looking for something that could do that and while I was doing that, I met a man named Tom Heidelbaugh and his friend, Phil Redigal, and they had this um, uh, vision of the canoe journey, doing those kinds of things that I just said and more. And I said, so I said, wow, I want to find out more about this. So that's when I went on my first canoe journey in 1996. And I said, yeah, this is important. I should help work on this. So my um, job at American Front Service Committee, uh, the powers that be said, yeah, okay, you know, we like what you're thinking, your program proposals, so we'll give you support to work on that. And so I was, turned out to be, for years, the only person who was paid to work on the overall canoe journey. Within tribes, they might have staff who worked on it, like their cultural program staff. But um, I was one who tried to help hold things together one way or another. And I tried to do that coming from a community organizing perspective where I wasn't the leader, but I tried to identify leaders or support leaders that were already out there in different ways. So that's one of the reasons why I did the Canoe Journey Guidebook. That seemed like it was important. And uh, one of my early days of being involved with the Canoe Journey, I was trying to disseminate the information out there. Um, Tom Heidelbaugh passed away, but he gave me his mailing list. And that's how we communicated back in those days was by mail. And um, so I tried to send out information to people about what was happening with the canoe journeys so that they could be involved. And then this thing came along called the fax machine. So we started sending out faxes to people for that. And then this other thing came along called email. So we started using that to get information out. And then when it got to Facebook, I kind of, I didn't move to that next level, <laughs> but other people did. So there are some good Facebook pages out there uh, on the canoe journey. One is, uh, I think it's called the unofficial 
canoe journey Facebook. Yeah, I saw that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's another good one to kind of be in touch with if one is interested in knowing what's going on with the canoe journey. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so then I think, you know, like uh, that vision of having the canoe journey be really something powerful in Native communities and help get the dynamic of people going to do undoing stuff. And it's just so great that it turned out to be so experiential, so cultural, so spiritual, so uh, community building. Um, so it's, uh, I feel really happy that I was able to be involved with it, just to be involved with it. And also that it seemed like I and others, uh, we all of us together were able to contribute to this really magnificent um, experience. Mm -hmm. And do you continue to plan on um, attending the canoe journeys and being involved with it? Well, you know, I retired last October and I kind of said, no, I'm not, I'm done. You know, I'm, I got to focus on my other things, uh, like my spiritual life and my mother who's getting elderly, but I kind of got roped back in and, uh, some, into some planning groups for the, like the two planning groups for these last two canoe trips. So yeah, I'm I, I've been doing it, but I'm not doing it for the differences. I'm not doing it for pay, and I don't have a you know a budget that I can use to help support it. But um, but you know now I get to participate more as an individual, and that's really good. So we'll see what happens in the future. But um, I'll be around if I could be a useful resource to folks. Absolutely. And uh, I guess just to closing up, um, what I, I guess was your message to people who want to join and what what is your, your message to the Native community about this and what it's been for you? Um, well, my message to the Native community, I feel kind of, uh, that's a little bit kind of a, uh, ostentatious for me to say this is my message to the native community but um but you know i, I think that uh people should be just kind of open up to what's happening on the canoe journey i know a lot of people say oh well that's not my thing i can't go out on a canoe or i'm a plains indian or that's not you know but um I think that there's different ways to experience the canoe journey. And one is just to come to some of the canoe journey events. Like a lot of people like coming to the big cell, the big day that we land and uh, have the big celebration and stuff on the last day of paddling. So um, that's something to come check out. And then people like to come and watch the songs and dances. And there's uh, so, um, those of us who've been on the canoe journey, you know, now we can decide like, well, if we want to keep going with it or not. And obviously a lot of us have chosen to keep going with it. So be open to it. And also, you know, there could be other experiences that have some elements and there are other experiences, but like of the canoe journey, like some communities are doing horseback journeys. And I wouldn't say that they like learned that because of the canoe journey, but they are doing those things. And that has some uh, I think it produces some similar results. So um, I guess, uh, yeah. So I think it's <clears throat> really important that we do things that help build our communities up from the grassroots up that help us to, as individuals, 
families and communities to become healthier and to develop ways to really help our communities grow. Um, and uh, I think that right now, I've heard other people say, and it seems to me that it's so that this is like a uh, really kind of a high point for um, what's going on in Indian country. We have uh, as good a funding as we've ever had. We have many educated people. We have a lot of people who are uh, committed to sobriety. And um, so, uh, so those and other things, and well, we have things like the canoe journey, we have basketball tournaments, softball tournaments. And um, so we're just really fortunate to be in this time, but you know, it's like, but it's not like we can just sit back and go, ah, we've, we've got things going well. Um, we still have a lot of work to do. And of course, uh, things can go start going downhill if we don't keep working on it. So mm -hmm. let's keep on building our communities together. I guess that would be a message. I like that. I really like that message. Cool. Well, any last closing remarks? I think, you know, you shared a lot of interesting stories and really thankful for that. Well, Anushka, I'm just really glad that you invited me to uh, share about the canoe journeys on your podcast. And I, Really glad that you're doing the podcast, and um, uh, and I admire all these other things that you've done. If people don't know about Anushka and her work, you should check out her things. I'm sure she'll tell you some of what they are. Um, she's a young woman who's uh, really powerful, and she's going to be doing a lot of great things in the world that's going to make a big difference. Uh, she already is, and I know she's going to continue to be. So um, I feel really blessed to uh, make your acquaintance, Anushka, and to have worked with you in the past. Thank you so much. Me too. I'm really thankful to have worked with you as well and all the work you do. And it's really great to, to hear all the, about the canoe journey. So thank you so much for the interview today. And I hope to keep let me, um, let me share one native, one Macaw word or Nichalnuth word. Yes means uh, enough or done or we're finished mm -hmm. or goodbye and it's shuh 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 sh sh so mm -hmm. um, so let me say shuh and thank you and thank you to everybody who had a chance to listen to us talk yay <laughs> yes awesome thank you so much and thank you to our listeners all right